what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our show here on TheMesh.TV where we talk about movies and films, movie news, give a few reviews, a lot of good film movie stuff. So Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. That's Chris Fry over there. I'm Alan Jackson. We're going to be your co-host. We're going to be your, we're going to shepherd you through all this film news and reviews that we've got to share with you over the next little bit. Uh, here's what we've got lined up for the show today. We're going to have two main reviews. First off, we're going to be doing Lee Daniels' The Butler. Then we're going to follow that up with a review of Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. We're going to give you a little bit of some movie news, dip into our our, our mailbox a little bit and see if we have a couple of questions we can help answer from listeners. And then wrap up the show, as always, with our film pick of the episode, a film we think you ought to be checking out. Maybe was a little overlooked when it was in the theaters, or maybe you just haven't thought about it in a while. So we want to make sure we bring that to your attention. So that's going to be our show today. Uh, again, we're on the mesh.tv. You can always go onto the network site, uh, pull up Foot Candle Films, take a listen to all the other past episodes and shows that we do. Uh, we're a part of the Foot Candle Film Society. We'll tell you about it a little bit later in the episode. But without further ado, Chris, how about we hop right into our first review? Let's do it. Which will be Lee Daniels, The Butler. I'm Cecil Gaines. I'm the new butler. You hear nothing, you see nothing. You only serve. You know he got that job himself. The White House called him. He didn't call the White House. I want to hear all the stories. I don't know how many stories you're going to hear because they done swore him to some kind of secret code. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Did you go to an all-colored school, Cecil? I didn't go to school, Miss President. I grew up on a cotton farm. Get back to work. Don't you lose your temper with that man. It's his world. We just living in it. In Lee Daniels' The Butler, we see the story of Cecil Gaines as he serves eight presidents during his tenure as, wait for it, a butler at the White House. It's almost like the title just kind of gave that away. I know, right? Yeah. So during this time, he witnesses the civil rights movement, Vietnam, and a president's assassination, all from this unique viewpoint. Having been released in late August now, and this film could be the first of what some loosely term Oscar bait. What aspects of this film, if any do you think might reel in a nomination? Well, that's a good question. And of course, I know that the, the conversation is always going to be framed around Oscars because really this movie, I mean, you look at it on the surface, it is primarily focused on this is a Oscar type film sure. from day one. It's got a huge um, cast. Huge cast playing a lot of uh, very pivotal roles, you know, kind of looking at a, 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 a picture of history over a number of years. So right there, it's like, this is important. Yeah. And of course, it's all focused on the civil rights movement and the history of that. And that being the underlying message that's going through. Sure. It's a very important movie. I think it's got a good message to share. As far as how it works, mm-hmm. I'm really, Chris, I'm, I'm man, I'm really split on this film. Really? And I did okay. just see it last night. So it's still a little fresh in the brain here, but I am really torn on how I feel about it. Okay. So let me start on the positive side of my brain where I feel good about this film. Okay. I think it's a, it's a good story to tell. Okay. I do. I know that this is based off of loosely based off of a true story. It's got some embellishment. It's got some added drama to it, I'm sure. But sure. overall, it's based on uh, somewhat of a, a true story where you do have a butler who's been at the White House for many, many years, gone through many different presidents. Um, In this situation, we have, you know, with Forrest Whitaker playing Cecil Gaines, you've got his son who becomes a little more of the radical element of the family, but then Mm -hmm. the two try to reconcile their, when they find out they're really kind of fighting for the same thing, they're just in different camps of doing it and how they reconcile all that. Uh, You've got Oprah Winfrey starring as Forrest Whitaker's wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll say, let's, I guess let's start with the acting first. I will say, I thought Forrest Whitaker was awesome. Okay. I will say that right off the bat. I think he really, I, I, you forget it's him after a while. I think he really immersed himself in this role. I think even the older he got, I thought it was the more impressive. Normally when you get an actor and you cake on the makeup and you make him look older, it, you, you, it, it doesn't really work very often. I thought it worked really, really well here. So I do think Forrest Whitaker was a standout performance in the movie, and I really enjoyed watching him in the film. Beyond that on the acting, uh, I don't have too much else to grab onto. Um, okay. I will be anxious to hear your thoughts on, on some of the acting with it. Well, 
Well, okay. go ahead. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and share. Um, Acting-wise, I agree. I thought Forrest Whitaker was, was good. What jumped out at me, and I was scared because I knew going in, you see the movie poster, I think, even features the names of everyone who's oh, yeah. in this movie. It's a movie. long list of everybody. Yeah. Because he's in the White House and he does serve eight different presidents, you get to see some specifically that I thought were very interesting. And I thought even though they had very little screen time, which was disappointing, I really enjoyed when they were on screen. Specifically, I'll call out um, John Cusack as Richard Nixon. Hmm. I enjoyed, because I don't, I don't think of him as a serious actor. You know, I think of Say Anything and mm-hmm. Gross Point Blank. And you know, I don't, I mean, I think he's good, but I would never picture him as Richard Nixon. And I, I bought it. And specifically, one of the scenes that I like is him when he talks to the butlers in a kitchen and it's late at night and he's not right. president at this point. He's just vice president and he's kind of trying to get their vote. But mm-hmm. from what little I know of history, cause I didn't fall asleep in the class, but it wasn't always, you know, as awake as I should have been probably. Sure. He kind of had a very uneasy personality. He was sometimes right. a little paranoid and, and I thought John Cusack did a really good job of carrying that off. And also his physicality, reminded me of Nixon, which I didn't, you know, there offhand, I was like, what? John Cusack playing Nixon? Like it didn't. So that was one that I liked. Okay. I also liked Liv Schreiber as Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. And I also liked Alan Rickman as Ronald Reagan, even though he didn't ooh, do a lot. Oh, you ooh, didn't. No. <laughs> you didn't appreciate that. No, I didn't. Um, so I found that kind of kept me going. So some, well, of, those, some of those portrayals. I, I, and I'm starting to dip into the negative already. Sure. I, don't, I don't mean to do that necessarily. I, but I think a fault of the film is when you've got so much stunt casting involved, I think it becomes such a distraction Mm. where it's like, Oh, okay, here's the next president. Ooh, what big name actor did we get to play this president? And I think by the time Alan Rickman rolled out as Ronald Reagan, I'm like, okay, this is just going a little too far. (laughs) All right. You know, you got your Robin Williams, you got your Liv Schreiber, you've got your um, James Marsden as a, as Kennedy. I'm like, all right, I I see what they're doing here. They're going to go through each president. It's going to be a different person, probably someone a little unexpected playing that person. Mm. And, you know, here you get Alan Rickman playing Reagan. And I thought his Reagan was just, I'm going to impersonate Ronald Reagan's voice the best I can. And as long as they give a slicked Mm. over uh, dyed black hairdo, I'm going to look like him. That one, it's by the end of the film, I was, I was weary of the stunt casting, the cameos, the Jane Fonda as Nancy Reagan's mm. the you know, let's just throw in as many people for a really, really short period of time. Vanessa Redgrave. Did you realize that was Vanessa Redgrave as the woman who took in the young Cecil on after the his father? Had, yeah. Right. After his father passed away and she's in the film for, you know, three, four minutes maybe. And it's just, it's almost like, let's just drop in as many big name actors and actresses in for a very showy part for a few minutes just so we can have that movie poster with the long list of all these big actors. It just, it was a little weary. I, I just thought it just, well, I thought it took away from the film. I think, I guess you and I sound like we're on a very similar page <laughs> with this film, although okay. I'm not torn on it. I was very frustrated with this. Really? Movie. Okay. Um, I, I did not, did not like it um, because I felt like it did not serve the story well and I didn't feel like it was directed well and I didn't feel yeah. like the script was I'm, done very well. I'm with you the 100% story on that. was fascinating and yeah. I could not wait to spend time with Cecil yes. in the White House and see his viewpoint. Every time they were in the White House which is why I like the president portrayals even though some of them were way mm-hmm. too short Alan Rickman as Reagan it was interesting. I wanted I to agree. see everything. The moment they left the White House yep. I lost interest and I'm I could not with wait him. for them to return to the White House. I got so bored and the reason why was in the back of my head, I had a nagging voice that said, probably since this is based on something, it's not, you know, 100%, this is what happened in history. Whenever they left the White House, I felt like a lot of that was filler. And yeah. It was filler with the son, filler with what was going on with his wife. It was a lot of filler that didn't really have any resonance. And it wasn't a story that we, we've seen stories of the civil rights movement. We've seen a movie of Malcolm X, which was really good by Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. We've seen that stuff. And it felt like it was just all being piled on to where it was almost making the Butler story, which is what the movie's titled, insignificant. Uh, <laughs> and I, I wish, frustrated me so much. I wish for listeners we had something more dramatic between the two of us as far as disagreement. But no, I'm, I'm echoing everything you just said. I, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to point the finger at director because I'm going to get to that in a minute. I thought there were some flourishes in the film that did help 
elevate it a little bit above a standard biopic. And you have to what remind Forrest me what Gump. those are. <laughs> well, there's a few scenes where they, I think they did some interesting things with having two consecutive scenes going on at the same time in two mm. completely different environments. And okay. the way they, they merge that together, okay. there's one scene example, uh, uh, gosh, what it was when uh, when Cecil's son starts to really become very, you know, a little more on the protest side of things. And they actually go in and do the go sit in the, the counter at the restaurant that, you know, is not uh, supposed to be okay. it's supposed to be whites only on the counter. I, and they go sit. I take that back. They're okay. doing that scene. And at the same time, Cecil, his father, is laying out the dinner table for the White House guest. And it's okay. this real it's very interesting dichotomy and the way they cut it together and showed those scenes happening simultaneously, I thought was good. They did it again a little bit later when I think it was Nixon was in the white house in the oval office with okay. some of his advisors talking about how they're going to deal with the, the black, black Panthers. Panthers. Okay. And they're cutting to the black Panthers actually holding a meeting, talking about what they're going to be doing and the way it was all merged together. Those were two scenes in particular. I thought were really well done the way they would intercut between them. And that's a lot of the director. That's a lot of the editing involved. I thought that was really well done. There was enough of those flourishes to make it visually interesting. So I didn't just feel like I was watching a very routine, boring biopic. Hmm. My my issue is what you said, though, is the writing of it. I think this went so much on the surface to where it's almost like we learned more about what was going on just when two people talk about it after it happened. (laughs) It's almost like, oh, well, we just found out that our son did this, and we just found out this. You don't see those things happening. You don't really get any weight to it. You just just happen to see when they show up back at their house, the the, uh, Cecil and his wife, and they're like, oh, by the way, our son just ran for Senate office, whatever. It's like, no, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. Why are you, <laughs> why are you like relegating everything to just kind of a mentioning in passing when there's so much great stuff you could be digging into here? And I'm with you too. Any, anything in that happened in the White House with the president relationships, I was very invested in. These, the whole subplot with his wife, played by Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. didn't care for. I thought it was messy. I didn't really quite understand where they were going with it. It's like I don't think they knew. I don't think they knew either, and I don't think it resolved in the end the way cleanly at all either. I think the thing with his son, I really liked the the guy playing his son. He thought was, was good, really yeah. good. His performance um, was good. But there again, it just didn't go anywhere. It just you, you knew the end resolution it was going to come up with. You knew, you know, father son were going to have to have some sort of reconciliation or have some sort of uh, confrontation at the end because they were so distant from each other for most of the film. But I I personally didn't buy Cecil's growing awareness of the civil rights issue. Mm. Um, I almost felt like that was kind of forced into the last 30 minutes just so you could have this reconciliation with his son. Right. I didn't really feel like he really understood and was as passionate about it as at the end of the movie we're led to believe that he's been building all these years. Sure. So I really think it's the writing. I think it was the writing and just the fact that they tried to cram so much story into a two-hour film and everything got such short-changed and surface. Hmm. And we learned more about things happening just from – passing dialogue than we do actually seeing it or experiencing it okay i'll 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 withdraw my career I, you've convinced me alan you've convinced me that hey it's, i know mark this down somebody <laughs> this is this is record setting here um i'm still not a fan of the film but you've convinced me that i can't lay the blame on the director i think i'll just settle on the script then okay um and i actually i'll even now that i'm reflecting on a little bit more I think it may also be a victim of the studio system mm. because you get a film that's this big and has this much money put into it. And obviously they're wanting it to be an important film. And, um, and the reason I point that, that maybe Lee Daniels didn't have any say so over this is there's a scene that the director shot where the butlers are, and it's an early scene where they're kind of in like a locker room mm-hmm. and, um, Lenny Kravitz is also in the film right. and he's playing a butler. And I believe it's Cuba Gooding Jr. is playing another butler. And then yes. there's, there's uh, Forrest Whitaker. But anyways, there's a joke that is being told by Cuba Gooding Jr. that is dirty, is mm-hmm. filthy. Mm-hmm. And he's telling it to Lenny Kravitz and they totally put sound effects over some parts of the joke so that you cannot hear what he's saying. Yeah. And that, fr- that and that was at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Kinda, and Pretty that, early on. That was like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I was like, yeah. what are you, what are you doing? Why well, are you- for, a, for a film that was trying really hard to be fairly authentic and right. fairly, you know, dirty in, in, in the places it needed to be and a little raw to do that was just, it was, 
Yeah, it, it just it didn't was work. Very jarring. It was me. almost a this was the one thing that would push us to a rated R film, and we don't want this to be a rated R film. Right, and that you know that's how the directors, you know, he saw yeah. the script, he shot it, and then in the editing, it got kind of so that to me is kind of a it was meddled with too much. I yeah. think so. Yeah, I guess I should give the director a pass. I, I think <laughs> visually, I think the look, I think I, I think what Lee Daniels was able to get from the actors, I think in general worked. I mean, I do feel like there was a higher level of performance going on here than what we would typically see in a, I, I equate it to Forrest Gump. And I know a lot of people are doing that just because well, you it look spans at, history. it spans history and it's kind of taking a fictional character, which in this case, this is at least based on somewhat sure. of a true story, sure. uh, but taking a more or less fictional character and trying to interject them into key points in history. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of the same thing happening here, but then we learned a, a, more about that person as a, as an individual. Uh, what I think this did better than Forrest Gump is I think acting wise outside of Tom Hanks as the role, you know, the rest of the acting in Forrest Gump, I thought was very just cliche passable. Nothing sure. really stands out. We do have some good performances here. Mm-hmm. I agree there. I, I think in the end, it's just the story, the way they tried to put this story to film just didn't work. It was way on the surface, too much on the surface too passe about so many critical important things oh they really hammered home some messages i mean we got to talk about the last probably 15 20 minutes of the film where i felt like the film just basically turned into a obama propaganda piece oh man once okay. he left the white house yeah that's when my it was really bad i loved it when when forrest whitaker as cecil was in the white house yeah. he left the white house not only that but the last like two or three presidents he served, we got to see none of them. It was like they ran out of money to hire stunt casting because we didn't get to see yeah. Jimmy Carter. We didn't, and I was like, okay. you know. It's just well, like, and there is a little bit, and, and we're, we're not going to get into the politics of it at all. That's not what we're reviewing this film from a film standpoint. But, right. you know, it really did. It tried to take a very raw look at every other president that we came into contact with. Right. But, of course, being about Barack Obama being in the end of the film – and being, you know, of course, the first African-American president, I feel like the film just went way overboard to really play up that fact. Yeah. And, and you lose the rawness that you had with when you were profiling all the other presidents. And Every I, other president had their flaws. And I think Cecil was in a position to see those and absolutely. understand them. And now here we have the shining star at the end. And it just it was it almost turned into a propaganda piece. And, and was, that really frustrated and me. It, at the it's end. a disservice. I think it's a disservice to the story of Cecil, the, yeah. you know, the true person that this happened to. And it's also kind of cheapens what they were. It actually works against, you know, politically. It works against the Obama. It kind of cheapens the whole. Yeah. I think it cheapens the whole thing. So yeah, I, I, I did, agree. too. That ending that really frustrated stuck. me because yeah. up to that point, even though I was having a lot of problems with the story, if they could have ended with the same level of, I thought, rawness that they carried over mm-hmm. most of the rest of the film, it would have, I think it would have got something. But too many things, I mean, the the the, the end scene with he and his wife, the the whole uh, inauguration of Obama, the campaign there, right. those things just seem to be so ham-handed and just on the nose. And, yes, and just, yeah. let's make this a completely different film for the last 20, 30 minutes. Let's get those Oscar moments in there right. with the swelling music and all right. that. And it just didn't work when you compare it to the rest of the film. Agreed. This is such an important story. This is a, such an important events in history. I wish they could have done it better service with the story that they told. I'm on the same page, absolutely. Okay. I will say for people, I think it's worth seeing. I'm not going to say go out. I'm not going to tell people to avoid it because I do think it's worth seeing just because there are enough interesting things in there. But just be prepared to be let down by the way the story's handled and I think the overall progression of the film. So Yeah, I guess I wish I could point to another film that covers similar ground that's better. I mean, you know, Malcolm X, but then um, that doesn't really tell the story of the White House side. Right. So I, I guess I guess I can recommend it. <laughs> it's a very know. faint recommendation from yeah, both of us, faint, but yeah. we both have some issues with it, especially in the story department. So it's a frustrating film to watch. I think that's a good word you used Agreed. earlier in the review. So, Okay, well, let's uh, go on and move on to our second review uh, where we have Joss Whedon's retelling of William Shakespeare's tale, much ado about nothing. Well, niece, I hope to see you one day fitted with a husband. <laughs> Not till God make men of some other metal than earth. I want you to get together. It is certain I am loved of all ladies. For truly, I, I love none. Dear happiness to women. Oh, God, 
sir. I cannot endure my lady. Okay, Chris. So I like to read IMDb, which is the website where you go and you can read up on films and you can find out everything about the production team, the actors, the storyline and all that. Mm -hmm. I like to look at IMDb when a film is in production. So kind of finding out what they're doing, who's involved and all that. So imagine the IMDb page for Much Ado About Nothing. Okay. Take a look at this. It's a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. Okay, Much Ado About Nothing is an adaptation of a very famous William Shakespeare play. It's going to be shot in black and white. Okay. It's told in modern times. Okay. All right, so you've got people in modern day situations. Got you. But still using the original Shakespeare text. So they're speaking, you know, the lines that Shakespeare wrote. That's right. Got you. Uh, it's shot in 12 days. Okay. Uh, it basically consisted of a bunch of people who kind of already knew each other and were friends with the director all getting together and hanging out at his house for a couple of weeks to make this film. Okay. All right. I look at that description. <laughs> I'm like, this sounds like a very either could be a horrible student film. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or it could be genius. Okay. Now, until I see the name of the writer director and by writer of course he didn't write the original text but he adapted it for the writer director joss whedon Mm -hmm. all of a sudden that changes the whole way i view this film i'm like oh okay that's interesting now i'm interested in seeing this film or before it could have sounded like a real disaster okay not a lot of star power involved in this film i mean i think uh gosh who was probably the biggest film nathan fillion i think is probably the biggest star in the film i'd say uh, and he's not really a household name yeah um but joss whedon joss whedon's probably the biggest name attached to this project which is interesting he actually filmed this film while he was making the avengers took a break from the avengers which you know he was the director of that film a huge blockbuster that you and i had some different opinions about when it came out a, a year or two ago and we've talked about joss whedon as well as a as a artist yes i'm generally enamored with the things he does you eh, hit or miss not not so much you're not in the joss whedon camp as much so this being something completely different from mr whedon (laughs) something i think complete 180 from what he was doing with the avengers yes even what he's done with his tv shows Mm -hmm. did this work for you as opposed to all the other joss whedon stuff you've seen this did this did work for me okay um Mr. Whedon has found something that appeals to Mr. Fry. Yeah, I mean, anybody that can make The Avengers, which, yes, I did not like that film. Anybody who can make that and then turn around and make something or apparently be making this at the same time is amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, hats off to you, sir. You not only can do the big blockbuster, but that you can do, you know, small independent films shot in 12 days. And who cares if it makes money or not? You mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. and the confidence that he did that with. I mean, that's, it was amazing. And I, I did enjoy, I didn't enjoy the film. Any Shakespeare adaptation I think is tough for me because it's the language. Yeah. You know, it's so f- kind of fish out of water to me, especially if they're going to keep to it, which hats off there again to the actors to have to deliver that stuff, I think has to be miserable <laughs> because it's, you know, it's one thing if you're on a stage yeah. and you know, you can gesture and you do all the Shakespeare, you know, because that's how Shakespeare intended to back then. You know, that's why the language was so wordy and everything, because that was the style. Right. But then to carry that off today where everything is like five second sound bites, and kind of, it's tough. Yes. And for these actors to be able to carry off some of those scenes, I was pretty impressed. So, yeah. And just, you know, the black and white was interesting to me. The opening when they're doing the titles, some of the opening shots, it actually reminded me of like a Woody Allen movie, kind mm-hmm. of like Manhattan in a way. It wasn't set in New York or anything, but just the way certain things were framed and the kind of lingering shots and the ease with which it started. And some of the music actually, you know, it's kind of jazzy in a way. Yes. And it reminded me of you know, like a Woody, you know, an earlier Woody Allen uh, movie like Manhattan or something. So yeah, I, I really was surprised how much I liked the film. Great. So I'm, we're going to go two for two agreement here on this. Hmm. Uh, not the most exciting uh, podcast audio to listen to when you don't have people fighting over their opinions, but I, I got to go with you on this. I, uh, I think I was really surprised how much I enjoyed this film. Uh, I am not a Shakespeare guy. I, I'm just, I'm okay. just not. I, I admire what he did as an artist. I admire what people are able to do with it, but I, I tried to read the, the text. I tried to read the dial. I just can't follow it. I'm not, versed that way so the first 10 minutes of this film did have me a little worried (laughs) in that when i started realizing oh wow they're going to really stick to this whole idea of they're going to use the original text it's not going to be glossed over in any way and the first 10 minutes were a little chaotic it was a little tough to kind of figure out what was what was happening and what was going on but once you kind of got your mind in the right place for this and you went for the ride by the end of the film i was loving it um there's a scene i think 
that's early in the film, like you're saying, and it was kind of treacherous for me. It was in the kitchen. It was a very early scene, mm. and they're kind of setting up like, okay, this who is everybody what's happening. Is who everybody is. Right, right. Yep. That yeah. was tough. That was very, and I was kind of scared at that point. I, that was, that's like, a scene I was worried about too, because at that point I thought, okay, if I'm going to be this lost throughout the whole film, I'm not going to enjoy it. But once you get into it, and there again, once you start understanding, okay, it may take you a while to figure out who the characters are. It's not going to be as cut and dry as with this typical film. Once you start figuring out the relationships and who people are and the personalities, then then you can kind of gloss over some of the language that you don't get when you hear it. Sure. You're, 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 more, you're able to follow the story fine. Sure. Um, I thought the film was funny. I thought mm-hmm. it was, but it also had some great moments of drama as well that worked really well. I thought acting wise, it was all the characters were fun to watch. The cinematography was beautiful. I mm-hmm. thought the black and white cinematography, and even though it's a primarily a film of a lot of people talking, you know, they still made it interesting enough to watch visually. And, you know, even a few moments where I thought, oh, boy, this could get a little off the rails where <laughs> you've got, you know, the original Shakespeare text, you've got people plotting to kill each other, where sure. when you look at this situation, you're like, okay, the way they're telling it in modern day, it's not really worthy of people plotting to kill, kill each, each other. other. It's like, it's very exaggerated to match the Shakespeare text. Sure. And a couple of those moments, it could be a little treacherous you get a little nervous that they're gonna it's gonna lose all sense of reality mm-hmm. but they're able to kind of keep it reined in just enough that you're like you go with it you follow it and you're okay with it um right well there's some specific items people anything with well, the film you really say, liked um i did like the fact that they it was interesting the choice to make it modern day but yet to make it black and white so that was an interesting stylistic choice and i guess because of some of the dialogue it was kind of like a throwback to kind of like a screwball comedy where they would have rapping specifically between Beatrice and Benedict, the two main characters who you kind of follow who have this love-hate relationship. Amy Acker, who plays Beatrice, and Alex Denisoff, who plays Benedict. I really liked those mm-hmm. actor and actress, and I thought they did a good job of trying to make it interesting and keep it updated, but yet still be loyal to the Shakespeare text. So yeah, yeah. Those, two, those two I liked. Um, I'll say that also updating it to where you know they're driving up in fancy cars and they have cell phones and they have security cameras at the house they're at those were all interesting touches and you know i felt like they kind of they were woven into the shakespeare fabric so that mm-hmm. i didn't feel like they they stood out really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think you you mentioned as kind of i guess trivia to listeners you mentioned that it was shot in 12 days yes. I, do you did you mention that it was shot at Joss Whedon's house? I, I, I didn't mention that here, but yes, it was. This is Joss Whedon's house uh, and, that the whole film takes place in. And I had heard that, so I knew that going in. And um, at one point, as the guests are arriving, Benedict, who I mentioned, and then his friend or comrade, Claudio, they are then shown to their quarters or wherever they're mm-hmm. going to be staying while they're at this house. Okay, I don't know if Joss Whedon has two little girls. <laughs> But I'm thinking he probably does yeah. because they are basically shown to a girl's room. And With he, a lot of stuffed animals and, yeah, and, and little beds. Yeah, and walks and he's like, okay. Like he kind yeah. of like takes it. It doesn't say anything. Right, because the there's no reference face. to it in the Shakespeare no, text and they're being was, 100% authentic to it. But the facial expressions in some of these scenes, priceless. you almost get the impression <laughs> that they're – having fun with reacting to the situation they're in when trying to do it in a Shakespeare text. Because he's there as a guest of a prince and all this kind of stuff. So it's not like he's going to say like, oh, this is where I get to stay. But just things like that made it enjoyable for me. There are a lot of little clever moments. I mean, little things that you wouldn't have had in the original stage play that they're having some fun with in the film. But again, keep in mind, everybody, the text is 100% text from the play I mean, gotcha. they do not ad lib anything else they do not add any other text hmm. everything they add to the film is visually what we see so when you see characters kind of get flustered or stumbling that's them reacting to what they're doing knowing that they're limited in what they can actually say something something i found interesting as well which was the character of conrad who is kind of like a henchman of the bad guy of the film, um, Don John. He's in the film. He's like the evil brother. He causes mm-hmm. a lot of the mischief that goes on. His henchman, he has two. One's Baraccio and the other one's Conrad. Conrad is, in the original play, is a man. Hmm. And in the play, or in the, in the movie, Conrad is an attractive lady who actually has kind of a relationship with Don John. And I found that kind of updating very interesting. And like the lines perfectly like the things that were going back and forth and oh like wow that. see I, I had forgotten that yeah, so, so that was huh. an interesting they share kind of a bedroom scene the two of them then they're interrupted but that 
it, it worked. And but that the was text would have applied just fine in the original play right. as being two men talking. Right. They've taken that exact same text and just the tone of voice and the mm-hmm. way it's delivered and, of course, their physicalities make it a whole different scene. So. Which was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was a great creative film. I mean, it's hard to be critical of a film like this when you realize it was done on such a short budget, such a short timeline, uh, such a daring production, taking a really original concept for, for the film. I mean, you know, even if this thing just didn't really hit really well and didn't work and click very well for me, I'd still be admiring it from afar. The fact that it does work, I think, is really impressive. And I think so. It's hard to be critical on this film to begin with, but luckily there's just not a lot for me to be that critical about. You were mentioning to me off mic that Joss Whedon did keep the text, but he did pare down some text just to make it It's an abridged version of the text. Uh If I had to find a negative, I would say that some scenes did seem like they could have been pared down maybe a little more or left out to keep the movie clipping along yeah um i liked the movie but sometimes i felt like in honor of shakespeare they kept some things that basically were very wordy and didn't really forward the story it was more of just like letting characters have their speeches and sometimes if that could have been pared down it could have made the movie move a little faster made it tighter i guess it could have been. I, I, it was about an hour 30 or it was about an hour 50 minutes. So it was a, starting to creep up there in the long, long sure. side. It could have been a little shorter in some places. But I mean, I know if you were to do the whole play and all the text, right. I mean, it would have been a much longer film. Sure. So I think they did a re- relatively good, well, a good job of getting it down to a reasonable film length for us here. So I have a question for you. Yes. Going into this film, I also could not get out of my head the Much Ado About Nothing that stars Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh that was Mm -hmm. made back in the late 80s, early 90s? I think it was early 90s, yes. Um, And whenever I think about, I've seen both a stage performance of this play and I've Mm -hmm. obviously seen a movie version. And whenever I think of this, I always think of Kenneth Branagh and you know I always mm-hmm. think of that movie how do you think have you seen that movie it has been a really long time okay. and I can't speak to how much I enjoyed it or not so <laughs> okay well what was surprising to me is that I felt like it was going to be hard for me to distance myself from that because I've seen it several times sure and I was surprised at how no when this movie started and the just the grace with which it started and the confidence that Joss Whedon was using and the confidence the actors had I was able to completely leave the other one. You were able to see this as a, as its own project standalone. Nice. Good. And I think that's, that's a hats off to Joss Whedon for updating it because I think if he had left it and made, if he'd made a period piece, right. I totally don't think it would have been, it would have been that great. But I think he probably saw the, the impression I get is that he almost saw it as a challenge. I got you. I think almost like a matter of, well, we've got a limited budget Mm -hmm. and I want to see what I can do with this. I love this story. I love this, this play. I want to see what I can do with it. It's been done, the period piece version of mm-hmm. it before. Um, plus, every time you make it a period piece, you got the costumes, you got the sets. It's a True. much more expensive production. True. I really got the idea of saying, let's look at this as a challenge. Can we make a modern day version for a limited budget in a short period of time and do the play justice? I do not want to forget, because um, we were talking about you know budgets and everything, some of the scenes that were probably obviously the more expensive to shoot were the wedding scene, mm-hmm. and then there's a party at the very beginning that's like a masquerade ball. I really appreciate the fact that uh, he took a lot of Shakespeare's words and turned them into songs that he actually did the music for, and then mm. apparently had his brother perform some of the music. And I really liked that because I remember, for instance, in the Kenneth Branagh version, those words in today's world sound silly and they were sung in a traditional way with like a lute and a harp mm-hmm. and all you know like and it just sounds goofy whereas in this thing i actually liked the songs and they yeah. they made sense in this modern setting and it was i really thought that was a nice updating touch awesome so. yeah no i i yeah I, I have very little criticism of the film at this point um it surprised me because i would did go in with some fairly muted expectations on things hmm. knowing it was shakespeare Knowing that it sounded like it could have been just a very experimental type film just to get their to get their kicks for a long week. No, it, it really did work. Worked out really well for me. Cool. All right. So that's our two films, Lee Daniels' The Butler and Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. We're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, we'll dip into our mailbox a little bit and see if we've got some questions we can help answer and uh, give a little bit of some movie news and also have our film picks for you. This is Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm two-time Greater Hickory Kia Classic winner Jay Haas. 
please join me in a fantastic field of Champions Tour players at Rock Barn Golf and Spa for the 11th annual Greater Hickory Kia Classic at Rock Barn, October 14th through the 20th. Weekly grounds badges are just $50. Individual tickets are $20 per day with proceeds going to charity. Get your tickets today at greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Uh, earlier in the show, we had our reviews of Much Ado About Nothing and The Butler. Uh, basically, summing up there, Much Ado About Nothing, we were both very impressed and pleased with and surprised by. The Butler, uh, great concept for a movie, great story behind it all, just horrible execution on film. I think is probably the way, or frustrating execution on, on film would be the way we would sum those up. So let's go on to some movie news, Chris. This is uh, you know, part of the show where I like to dig around a little bit online, see if we can find some interesting news stories that we can talk about, uh, maybe films that are coming up, maybe films that are uh, real early production phases, maybe some interesting directors. And that's actually the angle I'm taking today okay. is interesting directors. I've got three movies that are in production right now by three directors that are probably not household names for a lot of people, but I think you and I will know uh, easily know a couple of them. I'll pretend like I do. Sure. That <laughs> I, I want to kind of clue you in because I think they okay. sound like very interesting projects from very interesting directors, ones cool. we're going to need to keep an eye on in the coming months. Okay. Right. So first off, uh, Richard Linklater. I have heard of him. Yes, I know. Richard Linklater, <laughs> we're both you know, pretty good fans of. Uh, Bernie was one of the last films he did that we mm-hmm. talked about on the show. We both really liked Bernie. thought it was a great film with Jack Black and Matthew McConaughey. So I read up a little bit about a project. It's, a, it's an epic project he's working on. Now, he, he did Before Midnight, which after Bernie, which we haven't actually... We discussed. haven't reviewed that, but right. that's part of the Before uh, before Sunrise, Sunset, and mm-hmm. now Before Midnight trilogy. He did all three so of those as well. this is something new he's working on. Okay. Something new, although it has a lot of similarities with the whole Before trilogy, okay. which you'll hear. So there's a project he's working on right now called Boyhood. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing about this is that he's been working on this project since 2002. Really? Yes. So it's now 12 years in production. Is it? A, it's not a documentary, though. It's no, it's not a documentary. Film. Okay. What it is is it's a project where every year they film scenes with the same actors, and the main what? character yeah. started out as, an, as a six-year-old boy. Huh. And, of course, now he's 19. Wow. So you're actually going to see this film when it's done. The characters are going to age at least 13 years over the course of the film, going from starting at age six at least age 19. I don't know if they're going to keep going with production or not. Hmm. Ethan Hawke is starring in it. He stars as the stepfather, I believe, or possibly, uh, I'm not sure if his stepfather, yeah, he plays the stepfather of the boy. Patricia Arquette stars as the boy's mother. Uh, the boy is L.R. Salmon, who I'm not familiar with. Never heard of him. But it sounds like they've been working on this for a long time, and when they stitch it all together, it's going to, you're going to see this child grow in front of you on the film, which... You know, that's always a challenge when you're using child actors and you want to show them at different ages. You've got to match actors that look similar to each other. I Okay, you were talking about, you know, IMDb page for Much Ado About Nothing and how, you know, all that just was very interesting. But again, hearing just that about this movie, Boyhood, I don't care if it's garbage. Mm-hmm. Hats off to him for yeah. doing it because yeah. that's so ambitious to do. And it reminds me, actually, of one of the last films that Stanley Kubrick was interested in yes. and then had to turn over to Steven Spielberg was AI. AI. And there were rumors at one point that because he was going to do this robot boy, like he was going to be sh- he was gonna, he was going to kind of take a similar approach. Yes. Where he was going to shoot a little bit every year and do all this kind of weird stuff. But that ended up not being the case. Right. And they didn't go that route. But I thought that would have been really fascinating to see somebody like, Mm -hmm. you know, age. So that's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Do they have any, they don't have a release date, I guess. I have not heard a release date on anything. Well, they say it could be as early as next year, 2014. So uh, uh, Ethan Hawke too. I mean, even, even the adult, think about Ethan Hawke. He, he said he was 33 when he did his first scene for the film Hmm. and now he's 42. Okay. So even, even the adult characters, seeing them age 10 plus years over the course of a film. That's pretty interesting, too. But you've gotten to see him age in the before sun. That's, that and that's where I was saying it. It seems yeah. to be a little bit of a motif that I think Linklater huh. enjoys. is this whole idea of seeing people progress over film uh, and Playing actual the same aging. same people, yes. but yet, okay. Because the wow. before midnight sunset uh, films, I think, were nine years apart. Right. So basically, you covered... 
what would that be? You know, almost 20 years right. of these characters' lives, and you wow. see the same actors. He's doing that now with Boyhood, so I'm really interested in this film. It just sounds like it's a kind of a coming-of-age film. You're watching this boy as he goes through some very critical moments in his life. And I'm assuming so. Linklater, obviously, is the director, but he's writer as well? I assume we're just uh, Yes, I believe so. Okay. I believe that's correct. So, okay. uh, so maybe next year we'll see this, but Boyhood. Interesting film to keep on our radar there. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next one. Another director that you and I are have talked about the film once before. Yes. Um, I think I know I've recommended it before. You had some positive uh, yeah. take on it. I you like enjoyed the film. The film. Mm-hmm. Well, John Carney, who is the director, writer and director of Once, okay. um, has another film now that is now out and is making some rounds in the film festival circuit. Okay. It's called... And just bear with me on the title because it's a little bit of a hokey title. Oh. Can a song save your life? Question mark. <laughs> now, okay. again, when you take away John Carney and his background with the film once away from this and you hear the description and you hear the title and you hear the actors that are involved, you're like, oh, boy, this sounds really bad. Tell me Brett Michaels is in this movie. No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, Kira Knightley stars oh, as a young singer-songwriter who just moved to Manhattan. Mm. Mark Ruffalo stars as a dejected music business executive who finds her and performs a bond with her. I like Mark Ruffalo. Okay, well, bear with me, though. Hold on. Adam Levine, the lead singer of Maroon 5, stars as a member of this love triangle between the three of them. Oh, man. But he is the the artist that becomes famous while she is still very uh, low-key fame-wise. Now, there again, it's got music involved. A lot of performances happening. The actual actors are the ones singing and performing. Again, when I know it's not, if I didn't know it was coming from the guy who did once, which I do think was a really, really well-made film, I would say there's no way I'm interested in this film right away. However, hearing his name attached, I'm thinking, okay, maybe there's something to it. I will say the reviews, early reviews in the film festival circuit have been very positive. Okay, Uh, Supposedly it's very moving, very powerful. The songs are really good. Everything I'm hearing is that it's a pretty good movie. So, so the songs weren't written by Adam Levine then? <laughs> I don't believe so. I don't, I don't know exactly who all was involved in the, uh, the, 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 the uh, craftsmanship of the, of the songs sure. themselves. Sure. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is also in the film, who, True, who, True Grit. Oh, yeah. And then she's also in Ender's Game coming out soon. Right. Um, good actress there, young actress. Huh. So I'm interested only because of the connection to Once. And again, okay. if you're listening to the show and you have not seen once, I do encourage you to check it out. It's, it's a really good film to watch, especially if you like m- films that do a really good job of incorporating music into their films. It's a great, I, I, great I film. I had not heard of the film. I'll have to keep an eye on it. See, I think this new section, all it is, is let me educate Chris on go. films he needs to be keeping his eye on, <laughs> right? That's, That's all right. it is with the news. So with that, let's go on to our third one, which I'm the most curious about at this point. I'll throw one. I've actually got a news thing that I'm See if you're interested, but go ahead and throw All right. yours. We talked about Prince Avalanche yes. not too long ago. Correct. Because it just now was hitting theaters like in the last month or so. We got to see it at the uh, uh, film festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina back in April, April, I believe. yeah. So we saw it several months before it came out on any kind of release. Right. We both really liked it. Yes. We were both very happy to see David Gordon Green returning back to a – a little more of a interesting filmmaking style as opposed to the very broad comedies he had been doing the last several years. Right. So let me, Nicholas Cage, Nick, and Nick, Cage. Nick Cage, and I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> let me, let me, let me rattle off the films that Nick Cage has been in since 2010. This is just in the last two and a half, three years. And I'm going, as you rattle them off, I'm going to count how many of them I've actually okay. seen. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Okay. Season of the Witch. Okay. Drive Angry. Hmm. Trespass. Mm-hmm. Seeking Justice, mm. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, Stolen, mm. The Crudes, mm. The Frozen Ground. Mm. Have you seen any of them? Now did, there, he was in two Ghost Rider movies, right? Yes, but the first one was before 2010. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, Spirit Sorry. of Vengeance was the, the much-anticipated sequel. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Do you see any of those? No. All right. I thought surely I'd seen at least one. Nope. nope. <laughs> I've seen Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, wow. And I'm sorry. <laughs> that's it. I saw one. That has Jay so basically, Baruchel, yeah. Movie. So basically, I have not seen the last nine or ten Nick Cage films. What was the last Nick Cage movie you saw? Uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think the last one I saw, which is going way back, maybe like Leaving Las Vegas. Ooh, wow! Yeah. You you are way back there. Well, here's the interesting thing: David Gordon Green plus Nick Cage. Okay. We have a film called Joe. Joe. And so far, getting a lot of good press. 
Okay, so this is finished. It's done. Okay. It is screening at places, and supposedly Nick Cage knocks it out of the park. It's like best thing he's done in I don't know how many years, which that wouldn't really be that hard to say. <laughs> now, another interesting thing is, well, let's hear the description, and then I'm going to throw one more actor at you and just see if this starts to sound very familiar to you. Okay. The summary for Joe is an ex-con who is the unlikeliest of role models meets a 15-year-old boy and is faced with the choice of redemption or ruin. What does that sound like film-wise, a film we just saw in the last few months? Uh, sounds like mud. Sounds like mud. Yeah. Well, guess who stars as the young 15-year-old? The same boy? Ty Sheridan. Really? Yep. David Gordon Green, directing a film. He did not write the film. Okay. Just directed it. Nick Cage starring as Joe, Joe Ransom. Ty Sheridan as Gary in supposedly very good movie. Hmm. So, could this be the redemption of Nick Cage in the filmmaking community? I don't know. Uh, but he definitely needs to have something that gets him back on track with some good acting jobs. Actually, you know what? I take it back. I think the last thing I saw him in, and I, I can't believe it wasn't on that list, wasn't um, Bad Lieutenant, Port of New Orleans? Wasn't that in the last couple years? Yeah, and that's something I actually want, because Werner Herzog actually yeah. did that movie, and I really want to see that was, it, but can't find And that anywhere. was actually, he was he was crazy in it. I mean, he was batty, but I mean, he was interesting in it. Huh. That maybe was right before 2010. That's maybe okay. why it wasn't on that list. So that's maybe the last interesting thing I've seen him in. Okay. So Joe coming out, it's, it's making those circuits now film festival circuits. So could be coming to theaters if it gets a lot of attention, but David Gordon green, just another one firing off that. I think he's kind of back in his milieu there. He's okay. back in his style. I think he did his little broad comedy jaunt for a while and kind of experiment with that. And he said, you know, this is where I'm, I'm better. This is where I'm more comfortable. So, Interesting. Yeah. So that's a few things, three directors, three interesting film projects. I want to make sure you knew about coming up in the coming months. This, you is had just, one? this is just the odd news item that I saw the other day. Yeah. Alan, Harry Potter films, how do you stand on those? <laughs> I've only seen two or three of them. Okay. And the first one ruined me because uh, I really didn't like the first okay. one. So I had a hard time mustering up any enthusiasm to see the others. Although I really like Prisoner of Azkaban. Which was uh, Alfonso Cuaron. Alf- Cuaron's, that movie, just as a standalone movie, was a great movie. Okay. I was a fan of the books, read all of them. And I was a fan of the movies. I, in general, like the movies. And I just read the other day that although the books have ended, J.K. Rowling, the author, is writing a sequel of sorts or a spinoff of sorts of one of the Harry. There's a book in the first Harry Potter movie that they mention. It's like something about beasts and like all these fantastical tales. It's basically a textbook that the kids have to read. Well, she's writing a screenplay based on that textbook and like all the stories that'll be in there i mean i like her as a writer i think it could be interesting but i think a lot of it depends on the director and it you know it sounds like a sounds like a cash grab well that's what i was i mean and you hate to automatically assume that that just because somebody goes back to revisit uh, a source material material that they said that they were done with you you hate to think it's always just for the money but it's hard not to think that way it is you know you did jk rowling's did go out and do another book that was completely separate from the harry potter Potter, uh, franchise Mm -hmm. I don't know how it did success wise. I mean, obviously it didn't get all the buzz that Harry Potter did. So whether it's, well, let me go back to this cause it's safer and I can make money off of it or whether she just really misses it. You know, you never know. Sure. Kevin Smith is someone I always felt the same way about. I got always <laughs> got so frustrated every time he would say, this is my last film. I'm done. I did. I did clerks two. I'm done. I'm not doing any more films. Right. And of course now what's he out talking about? Clerks, clerks three. three. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you're going to say you're done with a franchise, try to stick to that. Kevin Smith is probably in the extreme because he seems like every year he's saying this next film is his last film. And then he comes back and says, no, I'm going to do a sequel to this one. Right. That's a little annoying. <laughs> uh, J.K. Rowling's, hopefully it's not just cash grab. Hopefully there's a really good story to tell, but who knows? Sure. Well, you know, the movie executives, though, are just oh. wringing their, their hands saying, oh, boy, cha-ching, good. We cha-ching. get to start this back up again soon. Yeah, so, sure. yeah we'll see what okay. happens. Uh, quick Chris, let's. We got a couple uh, questions, I think, from our mailbox that we can answer. Okay. Uh, a couple things that came in. Do you want to go first? You sure. had a question from uh, right. one of our listeners. Right. You know, we got. We're just paring it down to the question. We're not going to read the whole email that we got from from some of the listeners, but at least get the question that we can help answer on the show here. Go ahead with the first one. We've got one from Brian in Portland, and he wants to know: Was there a film that you recently saw that? Kind of let you down. Kind of let me down. Kind of let you down. So one hour we went in with some level of expectations and then were, those expectations were dashed. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I'd, I'd say one? recently, yeah, I'd say, uh, I'd say Man of Steel was okay. my big disappointment. Um, I didn't expect it to be 
great, but I <laughs> expect it to be better than what I got out of it. Okay. So that one, that one really That's did one let you. me down. Yeah. I'll say on my end of things, I knew that Jobs was not going to be the Aaron Sorkin version. We talked about mm-hmm. that in our last podcast. We reviewed Jobs. But I was still I, – I still had expectations for it because I'd seen the trailer and I'd seen Ashton Kutcher. And I was like, okay, I think he's going to make it work. And it wasn't his fault. But I was still let down at how surface that film was. Really? So that's one that yeah. kind of really let me I in. went in with real low expectations. So I was not – disappointed got you it basically met those low expectations and didn't <laughs> didn't surprise me in any way so got you i'd say that's kind of our it sounds like our two biggest letdowns in recent months sure again i've tried to be i think since doing this show I, I go into films a lot more with muted expectations than i probably used to just because i really want to look at it i don't want to be swept up with the enthusiasm for a film before i get in there too much and because I, uh, I do think that hurts the film going experience if you go in with really super high expectations and you walk out, it could have been a great film, but if it didn't meet those high expectations, you still walk away disappointed. And that's no way you should come out of a movie theater. I think looking into the crystal ball, Brian, if I had to guess what my next one might be, I'd say, and we've mentioned it on the show, I'd say I'm probably in trouble with uh, Ender's Game. So if I had to look into the future and say, okay, I think I'm probably, because I know my expectations for that are unfortunately pretty high. So we'll see. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a tough one. I don't honestly don't have any films right now. Inside Lewin Davis, the new Coen Brothers film. How about G- Monument Men? Well, I, I'm interested in seeing it, but I don't expect it to be great going okay. in. I like the concept of Monument Men, the George Clooney film. To me, Inside Lewin Davis, the trailers, I've watched the trailers more times than I should have, and that's problem number <laughs> one, are just beautiful, great trailers. I'm really excited about the film, and I'm trying to keep expectations in check. Gotcha. Um, I've been able to do that fairly well with Coen Brothers films. I mean, I, I, I got very excited about seeing them, but I also know that my first viewing may not be the optimal viewing of that film. Normally with Coen Brothers films, I enjoy them the second, third time I get to see them. Gotcha. So I, that way I kind of can go into a film and say, all right, maybe this first time I may not appreciate it like mm-hmm. I should. A Serious Man, I really liked the first time, but I've actually seen it again since then. I loved it even more. Really? So, okay. you know, I think, and of course, you know, that's going to lead into my uh, my pick as well for okay. uh, for the month. So, cool. okay. So thanks for everybody. Right. Oh, no, wait a minute. I haven't read my question yet. Ah, I'm sorry. We forgot all about the question. Dan in Boone, North Carolina, wrote in a question. And he kind of called us out on something, Chris. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, we kind of made a mistake. (laughs) Wait, we did? Yeah, a little bit. We said we were going to review the film Elysium. Oh, right. And uh, I'll take the blame for that, Dan. uh, That was my bad. Uh, I never got around to seeing it. Schedules got tied up. And it really didn't last in the theater quite as long as I thought it was going to. So by the time I did have a free night to go see it, I... uh, You don't just... Watch movies all day? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately I don't. Okay. So uh, the time becomes very limited. But gotcha. Elysium, I did not get to go see. Chris, you saw it there, right? Yes, I did. All yeah. right, so what's your take on Elysium? Real quick, I, give us a yeah, sure. one-minute uh, synopsis here. I, I think it is definitely worth checking out when it comes out on DVD or video. Um, Matt Damon, you know, star uh, Jodie Foster, is a little, her acting's a little weak in it. But, you know, it's another film from the guy who gave us District 9. It's a science fiction tale about, you know, people living on Earth and there's just basically a slum. And up in the sky is this space station called Elysium where all the well-to-do and rich people have gone and moved mm-hmm. off to. And it's kind of like class struggle. And it was very interesting to me. Yes, there's some politics in there, but it was never too heavy-handed for me. And I, I really liked it. It was shot well, acted well, with the exception of poor Jodie Foster. But, yeah, I would say definitely check it out. And compared to District 9, which was uh, Neil Blomkamp's uh, previous film, how, right. how did it compare to that? Um, I, would, I think it's a better film. Okay. Um, it's less, less messy, maybe, than District 9, you know, that being a first film. So I would say I like it probably a little better than District okay. 9. Okay, interesting. So. I think your take is probably a little different than what we're hearing out on the in- industry review circuit. And they're saying it's a little bit of a letdown compared to District 9, a lot mm. of people are saying. Um, I think a lot of people are targeting Jodie Foster's role, her performance, and just saying it was really just didn't work. Well, I will say, I guess the acting, the script isn't as well thought out maybe for Elysium as it was in District 9 because I Mm -hmm. think he he knew exactly where he wanted to go with that one. And this one, I feel like, I I don't know. I think maybe there is... I guess you, I, I guess I could go back and forth. It's hard to say yeah. which one I like better, but at least I'm more familiar with now because I've just seen it. Okay. So, but it's definitely worth checking out. All right, good enough. Well, uh, it didn't last in the theater that terribly long, so it uh, should be out on DVD or streaming video here in the next couple months or so. 
All right. So speaking of streaming video, Chris, let's just phase right on into our last segment of the show where we like to give our listeners a film that we encourage them to check out as one that we appreciate, think is maybe a little overlooked or maybe just one we've forgotten about. Uh, so, Chris, what what film uh, do you want to try to get our, our viewers to check out? Well, I am a fan of Elmore Leonard, and I didn't mm-hmm. even know it. Um, he's a writer. I've never read one of his books, but I have seen Out of Sight. Yes. I have seen Get Shorty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I have seen Jackie Brown. And yes. so I liked all those films. Well, they're all based on novels by Elmore Leonard, who mm-hmm. just recently passed away at the end of August. Yeah. My recommendation, when he passed away, I heard people talking about, oh, his movies. They mentioned Ombre, which I had never heard of, and mm-hmm. it would start Paul Newman. I was like, interesting. Okay. Checked it out, uh, watched it on Netflix, and I really liked it. Huh. So that's my recommendation this month. Um, it's a Western, too, right. which is different than this other stuff. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, Elmer Leonard kind of started out writing a lot of Westerns. Yep. Um, and this is one that he uh, wrote a, I think it was a story that they took and adapted to the movie. But I, I really liked it. And it still has elements that you can see kind of the snappy dialogue that he's kind of famous for and mm-hmm. really developed in something like out of sight or get sure. shorty. Um, you can see it in a Western and that's something that I'm not really accustomed, not that I'm a huge fan of Westerns, but um, that I'm not really accustomed to. Interesting. So I would say I'd ombre is uh, 1967 was when that came out and Very I would cool. definitely recommend that. It's available online, I guess the iTunes or yeah, our stream. Yeah. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Uh, that's interesting. And you know, justified the TV show um, on uh, cable right now is also based off of okay. uh, one of his stories too. Okay. So it's a, it's got a little bit little bit of a western. It's more modern day western, but sure. it's still set in that kind of environment. So okay. um, might be worth checking out for you if you're looking cool. for a show to start Sounds watching, like Chris. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, how's this for all the connection points? I mentioned Inside Lewin Davis as being a film I'm looking forward to. We talked about Coen Brothers. You mentioned Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. That all points to my pick, which I look back through the list. I really can't believe I have not recommended this. Uh-huh. And I probably have. I probably, I, I don't know, somewhere I probably have in the course of the show. <laughs> I can't imagine I wouldn't have. But okay. for talking Coen Brothers a little bit, and they do have a new film coming out in December, you got to talk about The Hudsucker Proxy. Gotcha. All right, this is a film that I think a lot of uh, purists out there, uh, Coen Brother uh, aficionados, may look down on a little bit. They think of it as lesser Coen Brothers to some degree. <laughs> they don't see it quite up there as far with Fargo and with, uh, um, gosh, uh, Big Lebowski and sure. others. Me personally, I think it's right up there. This is actually one of my favorites. Outside of Big Lebowski, this is probably my second favorite Coen Brothers film. Okay. Uh, you've got Tim Robbins, Paul Newman, Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, it's basically Tim Robbins stars as Norval Barnes, a business graduate who just through happenstance uh, works his way from the mailroom all the way to be the president of a giant manufacturing company, eventually designing and creating the hula hoop. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a great story. A couple things I really admire about it. A, the, 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 the snappy patter dialogue between Tim Robbins and Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee's character may get on your nerves at first, but she is completely hmm. designed to be that 1940s fast talking career girl. I mean, that's the whole, whole gotcha. tone of it. And I think she really, I think she nails it. Yes, it is a little chalk on the, our fingernails on the chalkboard sometimes, but it's <laughs> meant to be. That's the way you're supposed to react to her. Okay. Paul Newman is great as Sidney Musburger, a, a chairman of the board, I believe, of the, the company that Norville gets uh, to run. And then Tim Robbins, this was still a fairly early role for him. I mean, he hadn't been in the business that awful long when he did this film. And I thought he was fun. He plays, Tim Robbins does Clueless very well. And I think that's what this role <laughs> was needed. But one thing I really like about this film is it's rated PG. Hmm. And it really is. I watched it with my kids and it's a fun film, even for kids. I mean, yes, it's a lot of dialogue and a lot of talking, but there's nothing really, you know, there's nothing really that, that your kids or family could not watch about this film. It's a very simple, clean, a fun film. friendly Coen Brothers. Exactly. Movie. Which okay. I think is a, a novelty there. So, <laughs> so to me, the Hudsucker Proxy, 1994, I really like it. I think it's a fun, fun movie. Okay. Uh, I still have some lines I quote, you know, on a regular basis from it. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's definitely in my top three Coen Brothers film, maybe number two. So, mm, okay. Yeah. All right. So, Chris, I think we're done with today's show. Wow, we did reviews of Lee Daniels' The Butler, Much Ado About Nothing. We talked about three interesting films from interesting directors that'll be coming out in the next year or so. Uh, we answered a couple questions from our mailbox, and we recommended two films The Hudsucker Proxy, uh, which, you know, 
Coen Brothers. I think it's a great film there. Something I'll check out. Starring Paul Newman, who was also in your recommended film of Ombre. So great yes. little synergy there we had going on. Unplanned. <laughs> Unplanned. We do not swap notes before no. this show, people. We really, this is just synergy magic happening. Right. So. <laughs> When we get back together next time, we'll have a couple more films to review. We're also going to be talking about some other movie news and trying to let you know what's happening out there in the movie world or some other films we think you ought to check out. Uh, just as a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh Network. That's themesh.tv. We encourage you to go onto the mesh.tv. Check out our shows there. You can see both Foot Candle films as well as all the other shows we have available on the Mesh Network. You can actually go back in time and listen to old episodes. They're all available for free on your web browser, on your mobile device, uh, through iTunes, all these places, just to do a search and find us. And also, we're based, Foot Candle, we got our name from a film society here in North Carolina, and you can look for more information at footcandle.org, find about upcoming coming screenings we're going to have or events. You know, sometimes we do special little screenings. And also, you can follow Alan and I on Letterboxd. Chris Fry, Alan Jackson, kind of keep up with our picks on there if you want to go back and look at picks we've recommended a while ago we we track it all there yep so a lot of different ways you can interact with us and even on the mesh website there's a place to contact us for them if you've got a question or note or if you want to send us a question to answer on the show we'd we'd love to have it and get some feedback from you that way so for foot candle films i'm alan i'm chris thanks a lot for listening see you in the ticket line Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.